Section 4 of President Lincoln's Attitude Toward Slavery and Emancipation by Henry Watson Wilbur. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Period of Attempted Conciliation Public opinion in the North underwent strange freaks of wavering after the election of 1860. It was everywhere manifested in a truculent timidity willing to swallow principles and practically surrender the victory of the election to placate the threat of secession in the south where a reckless haste characterized the leadership manifestly the president-elect could hope for neither sympathy nor support from those who were busy hatching the rebellion probably no man ever assumed the duties of the presidency with a more uncertain backing and a more chaotic public opinion from those who supported him than did mr lincoln the north was willing to do anything to placate the wrath of the erring brethren and keep them in a union they were conspiring to wreck free speech was denied in northern cities and every discouragement from threatened mob interference to conservative exhortation was employed to prevent a discussion of the slavery question and in philadelphia george william curtis was prevented giving a popular lecture in no way related to the dangerous topic simply because of his known anti-slavery sympathies some of the free states repealed their personal liberty laws manufacturing all sorts of soothing syrup for the disturbed body politic was the principal business north of the mason dixon line in the winter of eighteen sixty one but the resolutions and compromises introduced and passed through the labors of members of the republican party in congress constitute the most astonishing sample of faint-heartedness and subservient surrender of professed conviction in the history of our country when congress assembled the first monday in december eighteen sixty the rush to be first in the effort to placate the south began henry winter davis who later found mr lincoln too easy in possible efforts at reconstruction wanted Congress to urge the states to speedily get rid of their laws favorable to runaway slaves. His recommendation contained a provision which now sounds like a joke. It was to the effect that the fugitive slave law should be amended so as to secure trial by jury to the fugitive slave, not in the North where he might be captured, but in the slave state, the home of his master. It was reserved to Charles Francis Adams of Massachusetts to propose the heaviest overture to the slaveholding interest. He suggested that the Constitution of the United States be amended so that no future amendment to that instrument, quote, having for its object any interference with slavery, shall originate with any state that does not recognize that relation within its own limits or shall be valid without the consent of every one of the states comprising the union this was maintaining the union by exacting uniformity and was giving any one state the power to thwart the wishes of all of the rest both houses of congress appointed large committees to patch up a plan of conciliation the senate committee could not agree but the house committee of thirty-three was more united and reported among other things six amendments to the constitution all favorable to slavery and practically guaranteeing its perpetuation the sixth amendment 
made it impossible for the people or the states ever to amend or repeal the pro-slavery amendments suggested the climax was reached however with the adoption of the following amendment to the constitution Quote, no amendment shall be made to the constitution which will authorize or give to congress the power to abolish or interfere with any state with the domestic institutions thereof including that of persons held to labor or service by the laws of said state End quote. this proposed amendment passed the house by a vote of one thirty three to sixty five and in the senate the vote was twenty four to twelve exactly the necessary two-thirds the entire opposition in the house came from republicans but it received the support of a good many members of president lincoln's party and could not have passed without republican votes this joint resolution was listed as the thirteenth amendment to the constitution it was voted on and passed by the legislature of maryland and ohio but failed in new england while these efforts at compromise and conciliation were going on in congress southern men some of them members of either the house or senate were busy conspiring to set up the confederacy not a little of this work was done in the capital city itself so well known were these plans to hatch secession and set up a rival government that the work of submitting the proposed thirteenth amendment appeared ridiculous and was practically suspended apparently the only effect these efforts at conciliation had on the south was to convince the leaders of that section that secession would be an easy task and that soon the north would recognize the independence of the southern confederacy and an empire founded on slavery would be an assured fact the way the compromise schemes of men in dealing with great moral issues are sometimes overruled for wider and more enduring good is illustrated in the fate of the thirteenth amendment born in the year of eighteen sixty one by the supposed saviors of the union instead of the amendment with the proverbial unlucky number enthroning slavery the one ratified four years later forever abolished the institution which recognized the ownership of man by man such in brief was the condition of the public mind when mr lincoln became president on the fourth of march eighteen sixty one an understanding of the discouraging and depressing situation in the north is necessary to an appreciation of lincoln's task and will help to account for the way he was forced to weigh and measure public opinion and cautiously deal with it if he was not to find himself a president without a party or a coherent patriotic backing we have now reached mr lincoln's first official utterance as the legally chosen executive of the entire country it is hardly necessary to note the splendid logic with which he exploded the doctrine of succession a brief reference to his attitude toward slavery in the first inaugural is in order as the next step in our story it was mr lincoln's firm opinion that the clause of the constitution relating to persons held to service or labor in one state and escaping into another shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such services due specifically referred to fugitive slaves he also affirmed that it was so intended by those who framed it Quote, and said mr lincoln the intention of the lawgiver is the law End quote 
the president considered that the fourth plank of the platform upon which he was nominated pledged the party to enforce that provision of the constitution the only qualification of this point is the following paragraph of the inaugural quote, again in any law upon this subject ought not all the safeguards of liberty known in civilized and humane jurisprudence to be introduced so that a free man be not in any case surrendered as a slave and might it not be well at the same time to provide by law for the enforcement of that clause in the constitution which guarantees that the citizens of each state shall be entitled to all the privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states there is not a hint in the inaugural that the entire constitution would not be faithfully applied by him of course he referred to normal conditions and the orderly providing of constitutional government and could not anticipate a condition of civil war amounting to armed resistance to the government which he had just taken a solemn oath to defend and protect slavery the confederacy's cornerstone the antebellum social institutions of the south rested on slavery while the political prestige of the section was also dependent upon the peculiar institution therefore the election of mr lincoln in 1860 on a platform pledged to the non-extension of slave territory brought to a practical climax theories of secession and nullification which had appeared at intervals as threats during the existence of the republic confined to its existing territory slavery might endure for an indefinite period but the south saw that with no opportunity for expansion the institution was doomed while it might be constitutionally tolerated it was likely to rest under increased moral condemnation for these reasons the moving spirits of the south did not wait for the results of the election of eighteen sixty to be fully known before they began to plan and plot for the dissolution of the union rapidly the movement for the secession of states and the formation of the confederacy took shape many of these plans were conceived and consultation about them went on under the droppings of the national sanctuary if not in the capital itself the purpose of this chapter is rather to see to what extent slavery was the seed of secession than to discuss the ways and means by which the rebellion was organized and forwarded documentary evidence and a wealth of competent opinion are available in considering the case first there is the constitution of the confederacy with the exception of some minor details and its provisions regarding slavery the document was patterned after the old constitution the peculiar institution however had the place of special reference in the fundamental law of the confederacy the provisions of this document recognizing slavery are here given Quote, the citizens of each state shall have the right to transit and sojourn in any state of this confederacy with their slaves and other property and the right of property in said slaves shall not thereby be impaired no slave or other person held to service or labor in any state or territory of the confederate states under the laws thereof escaping or lawfully carried into another shall in consequence of any law or regulation therein be discharged from such service or labor 
but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such slave belongs or to whom such service or labor may be due the confederate states may acquire new territory in all such territory the institution of negro slavery as it now exists in the confederate states shall be recognized and protected by congress and by the territorial government and the inhabitants of the several confederate states and territories shall have the right to take to such territory any slaves lawfully held by them in any of the states or territories of the confederate states End quote. alexander h stevens of georgia on november fourteenth eighteen sixty made a vigorous speech before the state legislature and opposed the secession movement as unwarranted and foolish on january eighteenth eighteen sixty one in the convention called to take georgia out of the union mr stevens was among the eighty-nine men who voted against secession having been elected vice-president of the confederacy on march twenty first he made a speech the tenure of which warrants the conclusion that he considered slavery the dominant reason for the formation of the southern confederacy we make the following extracts Quote, but not to be tedious in enumerating the numerous changes for the better allow me to allude to one other though last not least the new constitution has put at rest forever all the agitating questions relating to our peculiar institution african slavery as it exists among us the proper status of the negro in our form of civilization this was the immediate cause of the late rupture and the present revolution mr stevens admitted that the prevailing ideas entertained by thomas jefferson and most of the leading statesmen of the time of the formation of the old constitution were that the enslavement of the african was in violation of the laws of nature that it was wrong in principle socially morally and politically after declaring that the ideas of the fathers of the republic were fundamentally wrong mr stevens said quote, our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite ideas its foundations are laid its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the negro is not equal to the white man that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition this our new government is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical philosophical and moral truth End quote. however strange this doctrine may sound to twentieth-century ears it leaves no doubt as to what the vice-president of the confederacy thought about the institution of slavery as a permanent condition for the negroes in america but we have more recent and probably more famous evidence regarding slavery as a cause of the civil war the witness in this case is none other than woodrow wilson president of the united states speaking of the election of mr lincoln he says quote, the south had avowedly staked everything even her allegiance to the union upon this election the triumph of mr lincoln was in her eyes nothing less than the establishment in power of a party bent upon the destruction of the southern system and the defeat of southern interests even to the point of countenancing and assisting servile insurrection in the metaphor of senator benjamin 
the republicans did not mean indeed to cut down the tree of slavery but they meant to gird it about and so cause it to die it seemed evident to the southern men too that the north would not pause or hesitate because of constitutional guarantees the agitation against slavery had spoken in every quarter the harshest moral censures of slavery and the slaveholders the whole course of the south had been described as one of systematic iniquity southern society had been represented as built upon a wilful sin the southern people had been held up to the world as those who deliberately despised the most righteous commands of religion they knew that they did not deserve such reprobation they knew that their lives were honorable their relations with their slaves humane their responsibility for the existence of slavery among them remote probably no man of political foresight in the south doubted the election of lincoln after that section deliberately divided its vote between three pro-slavery candidates so that in so far as it staked anything on the election of eighteen sixty it was with the expectation of just what happened both as to the election itself and the secession movement that followed no more explicit defense of slavery as an institution and of slaveholders as moralists has been uttered since the civil war than is contained in the foregoing extracts the attempt to shift the responsibility for the rebellion to the shoulders of the north may be ingenious but as a justification for secession the claim is neither legally nor logically sound but mr wilson has unequivocally made slavery the cause of the war End of section 4